So as we finish our series entitled Encouragement for the Scattered, we are grateful that God does have a a word for us when our lives have been interrupted or even disrupted. I was listening to a podcast a couple weekends ago, and uh, by the way, podcasts are getting really popular, and right now there are all kinds of resources for pastors. I mean, man, there are more people that want to help pastors get churches through this time than, than I could ever imagine, and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, but it's kind of like this... Uh, what you might call kind of a whirlwind of information, and after a while, I kind of get jaded to it, but God got my attention uh, uh, just the other weekend, a Saturday morning, and I was out for a run, and I was listening to the Carrie Newhoff uh, podcast, and um, an older Christian who's seen a lot happen in his years, and his name is Tom Rainier, and he's been in all kinds of denominations, all kinds of uh, different places in the country, and churches of all different sizes, and he said, there's, there's something going on now that's really important for the church to understand. He said, I think that if we believe that what's going on right now is an interruption in the way that we have been used to doing church, that we're going to find ourselves um, not prepared for, for what's coming. He said, he said, right now we seem to be experiencing not an interruption, but a disruption, in other words, not only in our, our church lives, but in, in, in our lives in general, something is happening that is so significant that, that when we get through this, that we are going to be going into a different season of life that we wouldn't have imagined even a, a few years ago. So I thought, so a disruption, how does a church prepare for a, a time of disruption? Second thing I remember from his podcast was a little unsettling for me, but actually in a weird way a little bit comforting. He said that before COVID, pastoring churches in this kind of environment, that, that their research showed that 80% of pastors had thought about quite seriously giving up, <laughs> walking away from ministry. Why would a pastor want to walk away from ministry? That, that got my attention, too. And so I thought, wow. So these are really our interesting days in which we're living. So wouldn't you know that this Sunday, as, as we gather, we get to hear not a podcast, but we get to hear a letter from the Apostle Peter. And he first of all talks to pastors about the high calling, about their responsibility, and about their privilege as he encourages them not to give up. But behind that is a reminder of God's great love for his flock, his people, his church, for you and for me. God knew, I don't know if uh, Tom Rainier is right, that, that, that we're in a time of disruption, we'll see. But God knew that the church in the first century was in a time of significant disruption. In fact, they themselves were part of the disruption. You see, when the gospel came into a broken world, it changes lives. And when lives are changed, there is always going to be disruption. When the gospel came to the epicenter of the Roman Empire, there was a disruption. There were people who came out of a pagan lifestyle into this amazing new way of life, that was centered in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
They were called Christians, and Peter was a leader in this early movement. The Roman Empire tolerated the Christian movement for a while. They were kind of open-minded. But under the leadership of a very unstable emperor named Nero, Christians had become the, the target of persecution. There had been a fire in Rome, and the Christians were conveniently blamed for starting that fire. But it was more than just that. This was a spiritual battle going on, between the pagan forces that were, that were uh, endemic in, in, in the Roman Empire as a secular system and this new movement of Christians who said that they had a Lord too and his name was Jesus. Their lives are now being lived for a higher purpose. As their message went out across Asia Minor, it took roots in community after community after community and these new little cells or communities of followers of Jesus Christ who were part of the Roman Empire but has said that Jesus is Lord, that was often misunderstood. Their neighbors who had a very uh, pagan lifestyle and some of it enslaved all, all kinds of, 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 of darkness that, that, that debased the human spirit. When they saw their neighbors now with a sense of joy and a sense of peace, in a sense of hopefulness about the, about the future, they, they wondered about it, and, and some were drawn to it, but some, like even today, felt that, that, that they were threatened by this new way of life. And so these Christians had begun to encounter a kind of pressure or stress on their lives, simply because they were followers of Jesus. So these people have been scattered, like we're feeling a sense of scatteredness today. And these people were feeling the pressure of either present or impending suffering. So this letter that Peter wrote came from God's pastor's heart through one of his followers, Peter, to people like you and me, living in times where we kind of wonder what's next. So as we begin, we're going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, and you'll see why this, um, this got my attention as, as I read it. By the way, in, in, in the early church as today, God places leaders always in a group, not alone typically, over a group of Christians, not to lord it over them, not to exercise authority over them, not to um, exploit them for their own benefit, but to act on behalf of God for the benefit of those people. In other words, God entrusts leaders in the church to serve his people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we call them pastors today, like, like me, or elders in, in, in our uh, setting here at Triumph. We have uh, pastors and elders who have been ordained not to rule over the church, but to serve the church and watch over the church and guide the church. And we're going to see that, that, that Peter uses a very familiar and important kind of picture of how that happens as, as, as we read this today. So when, when Peter begins this, I realize he's talking now to people who are called to serve congregations like Triumph by providing guidance, by providing protection, by providing spiritual nourishment, and also seeking those who happen to stray. So uh, we'll pick up the story with Genesis chapter 
uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. The word elders here could apply to pastors or, uh, or elders in a congregation. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to serve, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples for the flock. And then the chief, when the chief, uh, excuse me, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's interesting that, that uh, Peter, who grew up a fisherman now, <laughs> finds himself identifying with being a shepherd in this new work that, that, that God had called him to. And, and so we see right away here that there's something about this ancient and important image of shepherding that continues to define how God calls people to care for God's people. Peter here could say, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was, and there was an appropriate time for that. But now Peter, as he's, as he's talking to these, to these Christians who are going through a time of disruption, he reminds himself that God has placed people like Peter, who knew Jesus very well, in the midst of people like us, that God might have his way, that God might have his presence, that God might take care of his very own. So Peter uh, uh, realizes now that this is pr primary, that this is, that this is uh, core to what God would have um, happen amongst congregations in his day. It's not just intended, this letter, to encourage scattered Christians, but also scattered pastors. It's encouraged me as a pastor, and I hope that you are encouraged as well. Remember that Peter had a really good example of shepherding. <laughs> Peter had an excellent example of shepherding. He got to watch how Jesus shepherded people. So when he thinks of, of, of God's call on, on, on leadership in the church, he thought of the example of Jesus. In fact, Jesus was the one who, uh, who called himself the good shepherd. And as, and as Jesus watched, or as Peter watched Jesus shepherd, he mentioned that he had witnessed Christ's suffering. And he understood that he would share in Christ's glory. We see how vital humility is to this kind of care and protection that Christians need during difficult times. Yes, we need to be guided. Yes, we need to be directed. He, we're described here as overseers of God's church. But we're also called to enter into the brokenness and enter into the, to, to the, the struggle of life. Churches need pastors who protect them from false teaching, but also who care for them as Christ cares for the church. Today, in churches like Triumph, some have been called to, uh, some have been called to uh, a, a lifetime or a vocation of ministry, and, and, and that would include the pastors on our staff, and we are freed up to devote our, our, our full life to, to pastoring. 
There are others, like the elders of our church, and right now there, there are about a dozen of them. Our elders are not, quote, paid to be pastors, but they are called and ordained just like our pastors. In other words, we have those in our church that have been given the responsibility to, to care for the church spiritually. I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. You know what they call kids that grows up, grow up in pastor's homes? PKs. I'm not a PK. I, I raised four of them, but I'm not a PK. I am an EK. <laughs> I grew up in an elder's home. I watched what it's like for a man who has sensed the call of God not only to care for his family and work in the marketplace, but also feel the responsibility to be part of a team that cares for a church. I watched that from the inside. And so I'm so grateful for the team here at our church that right now during this time that's, that's not easy to be a pastor, not easy to be an elder, in addition to caring for their own family and many of them working in the marketplace are caring for this church. And I hope that they are encouraged by this uh, wonderful part of God's word here in 1 Peter. So as we, as we think about, I think about shepherds, I think my, <laughs> what comes to mind for me is a German shepherd. And uh, her name is Riley. I don't know where dogs go when they die. I, I don't know if there's a dog heaven, but if there's a dog heaven, Riley's in dog heaven. Seriously, that's not a theological issue I'm going to go into today, okay? No, we're not going there. But I had the safest granddaughter on the planet when Riley was alive. She was a beautiful German shepherd. She's tremendously loyal to her master, my daughter Libby and her husband Max, and she was tremendously vigilant to her calling in life, protecting and caring for Nora, my granddaughter. Man, that little girl. When we stepped into their home, we would hear a few sharp barks that remind us, you're in this home and I'm Nora's caretaker and don't you ever mess with Nora. And uh, so we would be in that home, and that German shepherd never took her eye off Nora. In fact, often would circle Nora. If we were out on a walk, like my, my kids live on the North Shore, where it's beautiful, uh, uh, Riley would go with us and always keeping an eye on little Nora. When she came to our house, I thought, come on, Riley, this is our house. No, when she came in, Riley let out a couple good barks, like a German shepherd. And when we're in your house, I'm in your house, and I'm going to take care of Nora. Now, this may be a bit of an example. Uh, uh, I don't know that God calls us to be like German shepherds. He calls us to be shepherds. But a good shepherd has the same kind of heart. Tremendous loyalty to the master, Jesus, and tremendous vigilance in caring for the master's flock. You see, Nora did not belong, of course, to, to Riley. And a congregation does not belong to pastors or elders. In fact, Peter says, care for God's flock. Care for the shepherd's flock. The good shepherd's flock. We're just, we're just under shepherds. But, but, but like, like, uh, like Riley cared for Nora in, in a wonderful way. So we are so grateful when, when our leaders care for us in a, in a wonderful way. You know, um, we remember that, that, that it is not our job to be the, the main shepherd. Jesus is the main shepherd. This picture might look a, a little kind of, uh, well, it takes a while to kind of figure out what's going on. There's a picture of Jesus on the cross in the middle of this uh, room, actually a, a sanctuary, 
And the guy on the right is Martin Luther, and he has a Bible open. And that's his congregation. You thought, that's an interesting way to set up a congregation. There's a big old crucifix of Jesus right in the middle of the room. But what this reminds us is that uh, Luther's highest blessing in, in caring for the congregation is to take God's word and faithfully minister it, which will always point to Jesus and him crucified. So when these people are listening, uh, this guy here is not listening. He's kind of looking to the side, and she's not listening. But the rest of them are listening. And when Luther is speaking, what they are seeing is Jesus and him crucified. And we're going to talk about why that's so important, that the most important thing a pastor does, especially in uncertain times, is remind them of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. But there's something else here that I think is helpful to, to take mind of. Luther here, when he looks at his congregation, does not see them solely as his people. He sees them as people that Jesus gave his life for. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul says to the early church, be shepherds of God's flock whom he purchased with his own blood. Do you see what's going on here and why that could be so important during uncertain times like this? It's because God understands that we need not only people to hear our stories and care for us and tell us that we love them, but we need those who will point us to Jesus and, and his great love for us and what he has done for us. Moving along here, we move into the second part. And here we are going to see how humility is the most powerful posture in our lives during times of great need. Peter says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's almighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. And we're going to stop right there and just think a moment about the importance of humility. Why is pridefulness such a dangerous attitude during a time of uncertainty like now? And why is humility such a powerful posture during a time of uncertainty right now? Pride can seem strong and humility can seem weak during times of, of struggle. Why is humility such an important posture? Well, notice what Peter says. And by the way, he learned this. He learned this in a very painful way. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. So when, when we're in a, in a posture of pridefulness, we're actually taking ourselves out of the place where God can work in us and, and through us. Peter learned this. Is there any hope for someone struggling with pride? Yes. But it can be, all, be very painful. We all have perhaps a rooster story. This is a rooster that I got on my second birthday from the Sunday school superintendent in Ebenezer Church in uh, South Minneapolis. You say, my pastor Jeff, you're quite sentimental. You still have this? Yes. And I have it in my office. It reminds me of my rooster story. You see, Peter had a rooster story that was a gift from God, yet it was very painful. Before Jesus went to the cross, 
as Luther pointed to, before he went to the cross, there was this very tense evening, the evening that Jesus gave the Last Supper first, the evening that Judas went out to betray him, the evening where Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there was a conversation between Jesus and Peter during that time. Jesus said to his, to his followers, Satan has asked to sift you. But then he turned to Peter And this is what he said to Peter. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter replied, Lord, I'm I'm ready to go to prison with you and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you you will deny three times that you know me. In the press of this this moment, Jesus reminded Peter that he was very vulnerable, but he was going to be okay. I love it when people pray for me. (laughs) Jesus said, Peter, I'm praying for you. And understand that that Jesus knew that Peter was going to struggle, but this was going to be okay. Jesus was going to redeem the struggle in Peter's life. We know what happened that evening. As Jesus was being interrogated, Peter was being interrogated too. On three different occasions, people said, I think I recognize your accent. You're from Galilee. You were with him. You know him. You're one of his. And he said three times, I don't know him. And then we know what happened, right? I wonder if Peter thought of that every time he heard a rooster crow, which happened every morning in Israel during that time. But that's not a picture of shame. You know what that is? That's a picture of grace. Jesus called Peter knowing his weaknesses, but he knew he could use him. But he would need to understand how much he needed Jesus. Not just what he could do for Jesus, but how much he needed Jesus. Peter's story was a powerful grace story. And why do we need it? Why do we need um, God's grace in such a powerful way? Because, as Peter would go on to say, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Don't think for a minute that when we're unsettled and we're going through a time of struggle that the enemy of our souls is going to have any pity on us. No. (laughs) Luther wrote, At all hours the devil is seeking to kill us all. After you've been baptized, he will not uh, let you have any rest. If he could kill you in your mother's body, he would do it. (laughs) He's not satisfied to let us have one kernel of grain in the field, one fish or piece of bread, or anything good, far less 
Does he spare us who are exposing his shame, who rebuke him to his face, who preach what we should? He would now rather break my neck, Luther said, in a moment than let me stand here and preach and storm his kingdom. Luther fully understood what was going on. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, he wrote. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. If we in our own strength can fight, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Luther goes on in that powerful hymn to say, you know, this is serious. But there's hope for us if we will humbly understand on earth is not his equal in our humility. You know what humility basically is? is honestly admitting our need for God's grace in our lives. That's what humility is, right? It's not the absence of pride or admitting our limitations. It's admitting our need of God. And when we are in that process of humility, let the, let the, the enemy roam. Because you know what? When we are in a, in a place of humility and God has his way in our lives, the enemy of our souls has no chance against the guardian of your soul, the chief shepherd of your soul, Jesus who is powerful in you and for you. So we wrap up with this thought. With, uh, with this thought, As he wraps up this letter, he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Oh, it's amazing how God's at work in this world, but it's, but it's of tremendous hope. It's encouragement for those of us who are scattered. In our scatteredness, we often know our need. And in our scatteredness, we know that the enemy's licking his chops <laughs> because we're nervous and he knows what we can do to each other when we forget who we are and whose we are. But in our need, those of us that have heard the good news have a place where he can turn. And his name is Jesus. When we see him, we see him who gave his life for us. When we see him, we see the one whom death could not conquer. And the best thing we do, whether we're pastors or Sunday school teachers or just a Christian friend that someone's looking to, is remind one another, especially during these times, that the most powerful place to stand is firmly in the middle of God's grace to us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for... uh, the gospel. We thank you that the gospel not only shows us our great need, but shows us your great love. We thank you that you redeem our rooster moments and use them to make us aware of all that we have in you when we've been, um, when, when we've been deceived into thinking it's all about us. So today we just pray that you would give us grace for this day. We pray that this posture of humility would continue to open us up to your power at work in us and through us. So today we pray for 
little Hannah, who was baptized into your family. We pray that she might grow to know and, and, and live in, in the freedom and, and, and joy of, of being a child of God. And may all of us, like she, understand that when the enemy presses against us, we are safe, not in our own strength, but in the watchful love and care and protection of our great Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.